Well, it's time if you have a Bible, if you would turn it to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians in chapter number 6, Ephesians chapter number 6, and uh, we're going to read verses 5 through verse number 9, and uh, as you're finding that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, out of respect and reverence for the Bible. Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse number 5 says this, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. And uh, let's pray together one more time together. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you for how it speaks to the things that we deal with on a daily basis. Lord, I pray that you would uh, open our hearts, help us, Lord, to be willing to apply the truth that's presented today. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to be good hearers, but then, most of all, help us to be good doers of what we hear. And uh, Lord, I pray you'd be honored and glorified in our response to your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So as we've been doing, as we've gone through this uh, little series here called Magnify the Lord, uh, I've given a little bit of a reminder of what we've already talked about. We've been learning how to magnify the Lord in a lot of different areas of our lives. We've been learning how to magnify the Lord in our own personal hearts. And really, that's where it all starts. And then from there, it should impact every area of our life, but certainly in our hearts. But then... Also, we talked about how we can magnify the Lord in our homes. And uh, before we are looking to impact this world with the gospel of Christ, we better make sure that our homes are in order and that the Lord is being magnified at the home front. Well, then we also talked about uh, how to magnify the Lord in our marriage. And uh, that is an important area of our lives for those who are married and for those who will one day be married. That is a very important thing to talk about, and the Bible has much to say about how to magnify the Lord in marriage. Then we talked about how to magnify the Lord in our time and our usage of it, Uh, magnify the Lord in our finances, and again, in our use of that, in our our perspective and our mentality towards finances. And we talked about uh, magnifying the Lord in our trials in the difficult things that the Lord allows us to go through to magnify the Lord during those times. And then last week we talked about how to magnify the Lord at church, in our church. And uh, now today we're going to talk about how we can magnify the Lord at work. Now, as I was thinking about this this week, I was counting up the different jobs that I've had in my life, and I came to the number of 16 different jobs that I've had in my life. I've been a bottom-level employee... I've been a manager, and yes, I was a manager at the Golden Arches. I was a crew chief. I had arrived at the age of 17 years old. I was a manager at McDonald's, ladies and gentlemen. But I've also been the owner of a business as well. I've also been in ministry, which is a job, but it's a little different than just a job. Um, I've even been, uh, well, we have a picture on the screen This was one of the jobs that I did. I was Tony the Tiger for one day at a local Albertsons in Helena, Montana. And yes, indeed, that is me inside Tony the Tiger. If you were wondering who Tony the Tiger's real identity was, now you know. It was me. And uh, I got paid uh, not too bad for doing that. It was a one-day job. And they asked, uh, hey, do you know anybody who could be your handler? And I said... As a matter of fact, I do. She has been my handler for a lot of years. And so they hired her to be my handler, and we had a great day working together. And uh, so, yes, next time you get Frosted Flakes, now you know. You'll, You'll think differently about it now. 
You're welcome. <laughs> uh, so I've had, I've had a lot of different working experiences in my life. And uh, so I, I know a little bit about what, what it's like to work. Um, now, maybe you've heard this expression, um, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Um, that's kind of the case for a lot of people. They have a lot of bills they need to pay, and so they go to work. Well, the question is, what do we do when we get there? Now, before we dive into this, I do want to point out the context in which Paul was writing Ephesians chapter number 6. He was writing to the church at Ephesus, and uh, in those days... Uh, Notice he writes uh, to, in verse 5, it says, servants. And then later in verse 5, it says, your masters. So slavery was a thing back in those days. It was a common practice in the first century, in fact. And it has been estimated that between one-third and one-half of the population of the Roman Empire at that time consisted of slaves. Many of them were members of these early Christian churches, Now, some have criticized Paul for not addressing and condemning slavery, but in reality, he did. He did so through the gospel, which would ultimately destroy this terrible blot on society and give liberty which shackles could not hold and tyranny could not suppress. Now, thank God, slavery is no longer a part of our own culture. There might be a tendency to think that Paul's words really don't mean much anymore because we don't have the slave-master scenario. Uh, But I'm going to suggest this morning that Paul's teaching does indeed have an application today as we consider our relationship not as masters and slaves, but as employers and employees. And so with that, let's look at four truths that will help us indeed magnify the Lord at work. And I realize that maybe some are different stages of work. Some uh, don't, aren't working yet. Uh, some just started working. Some are done working uh, some are in the middle of their career. It, I, I realize that I, the audience in which I'm speaking to, there's, there's people in all spectrums of, of their work relationships uh, or their work life. But, uh, but I want to dive into this, and, and, and still, hopefully, everybody will find some type of application as we go through this this morning. Number one, I want us to notice the biblical reality of work. The biblical reality of work. Now, work has been around from the very beginning. When God placed Adam in the garden, he gave him a job. Uh, This wasn't just something that God put Adam and he said, go and relax for the rest of your life. No, he gave him work to do. Genesis 2.15 tells us what that is. The Bible says, the Lord God took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So God here put Adam into the garden and said, I'm going to give you work to accomplish. I'm going to give you a job to do, Adam. Now, I'd like to share something with you that's super profound. Uh, Yes, I went to four years of Bible college, and I have been ordained to the gospel ministry. And so I'm going to impart some great Bible truth to you this morning, and that is this. Genesis chapter 2 comes before Genesis chapter number 3. You're welcome. I know I have enriched you spiritually greatly this morning. The reason I mention that is this. For those who remember in Genesis chapter number 3, we read about and we discover that Adam, we read about his first disobedience to God and how he sinned there in the garden by taking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was the very first sin in human history. And then God issues a curse. And and God says, now at this point, the rest of your life, work is going to be difficult. By the sweat of your brow, it's going to be done. And so the reason I mention all of that is because, look, Adam had a job prior to the fall. Some people think that work is a result of the fall. No, work was in existence before the fall. It's just work now after the fall, thanks a lot, Adam, is a lot more difficult. You see, God created us to work. God created you to accomplish things, not just to take and receive, but to give and to do something. Paul encouraged the Thessalonians in his letters to work. In his first letter, he wrote this, that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. 
In his second letter, Paul wrote this, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now I realize that that verse goes against a lot of what a certain political party stands for, and yet it's in the Bible. And uh, regardless of where you stand on that, I'm not going to argue with God. And uh, God's word says, if you're not willing to work, then you should not eat. By the way, uh, just as a side parenting tip, we have used this on occasion with our children. When they're not willing to do a chore, when they're not willing to clean their room or clean a bathroom or do what we've asked them to do, if they're not willing to do that, then, they're not will- then we're not willing to give them the next meal. Or if they're struggling to do school and they're just not feeling the vibe, well, we're not feeling the vibe to feed you the next meal. So, because the Bible says, look, if you're not willing to work, then you shouldn't eat. Now, don't worry, none of our children have uh, skipped that many meals. Uh, That has worked very effectively, (laughs) actually. Uh, They don't want to miss meals, especially when we do that. Usually, we make the best dessert ever after the meal, and they get to miss that one, too. And so, for you parents, that's a, a biblical tip that you could use in your own homes. Obviously, I don't uh, advise starving your children, but uh, there is a balance, obviously, in that. But, but if you're not willing to work, you're not willing, you're not, you shouldn't be uh, eating as well. All right, the Lord was our example in the arena of work. He worked at creation. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2 says this, On the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. Jesus, of course, worked as a carpenter, and then during his earthly ministry, he said this in John chapter 9, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And, and look, you say, well, I'm looking forward to, you know, going to heaven, and I'm just going to relax for all of eternity. Ah, here's what the Bible says in Revelation 22, verse 3. There shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. You see, one of the things we're going to be doing in heaven is serving the Lord. We're going to be working. We're not going to be sitting on a cloud with a heart going, man, this is great. No, no, we're going to be doing stuff. We're going to be working. We're going to be serving. I'm thankful for that. But I like the beginning of that verse. It says, there shall be no more curse. Praise the Lord, the curse will be gone when we are in heaven. And when we're working, we're not going to have the sweat of the brow anymore. The things that make working difficult now will no longer be there. Think about this. No workplace drama. No backstabbing. No burnout. No more stress. No more pressure. No more unreasonable quotas. No more anxiety about the future of your job. No more moody bosses. No more coworkers heating up their nasty smelling food in the break room right next to your office. No more sweat, no more curse. It's going to be wonderful serving the Lord under no curse. So that's the biblical reality of work. But let's get into here number 2. I want us to see the biblical responsibilities of employees. How many of you would say, I'm an employee? Would you raise your hand? All right, good. A lot of hands are up. So these things apply to you and to me. Uh, Ephesians 6 and verse number 5, it says servants. That's, we're going to kind of use that here as, as employees. So servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord, not to men. You see, God has much to say to those who are servants or to those of us in our modern vernacular, in our modern day in society, who are employees. Well, what are they? First of all, uh, here we see to be obedient, diligent, and honest in our work. It says in verse number five, servants, be obedient to them, that are your masters, according to the flesh. 
Be obedient. Colossians chapter 3 is a little bit of a parallel passage to this uh, Ephesians 6 passage. And and, uh, to the church at Colossae, Paul says this, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. And then he says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily. I've seen it happen a lot of times in my days of working in these different jobs that I uh, mentioned, these 16 different jobs. When someone gets hired, I mean, they're gung-ho about doing whatever. I mean, they're just thrilled to have the job. I mean, they were looking for a job. They, they applied for the job. They went through the interview process, and, and, and they got hired, and they were just so thrilled about having this job. They, day one, they get there. They're just so excited about getting, doing whatever it takes to be successful because they're excited about this job. Well, and this, this lasts for a little while, and then time goes on, and, and their, their role gets established. And the responsibilities are kind of set forth, and they kind of get in the routine and the rhythm of, of working. And all of a sudden, the boss comes in, you know, a year or so later and says, hey, we're going to change things up a little bit. We're going to add something to your plate or maybe take something away and give it to someone else uh, and maybe change some of your responsibilities. And then it's like, you can't do that. Hey, wait a minute. I've been doing this. What's the problem? And, and we get kind of a, maybe a, not the best attitude towards the boss. And look, we're here to be servants. We're to be obedient to the masters. We're to be obedient to our employee or to our employers. Uh, we're to do it heartily. Have a good spirit in the workplace. Don't have one of those, oh, don't, don't try to change their, uh, their job description or they're going to have a fit. Don't be one of those employees. As a believer, we need to be obedient. We need to be also diligent. Proverbs 13.4 says, The soul of the sluggard desireth and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Now, this is one kind of fat that you want in your life, okay? Uh, this is God's blessing. This is God's uh, financial provision even. But those who are sluggards at the workplace and those who are there and they're just kind of killing time, watching the clock... They're not going to get promoted. They're not going to get the raises. They're not going to get uh, the recognition. But those who are diligent are going to be blessed. Proverbs 10.4 says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Uh, You want to go far? Be diligent. Uh, Be obedient, be diligent, and be honest. Uh, Be honest in your business and be a person of great integrity. Remember, the Lord is watching. The Lord watches even when we're at work, by the way. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12 says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Uh, look, your coworkers are watching what you do when a situation arises to where you can, A, bend the truth, or uh, B, completely lie altogether and do what you need to do to advance yourself. They're watching. And so is God. As they think about an employee or a servant who is obedient, diligent, and honest, I think back to a man in the Old Testament named Joseph. Here was a man who was forced to be a servant. He didn't apply for the job. He was sold into slavery. And decided he wasn't going to just simply be, though, an ordinary servant. No, he was going to be an excellent servant. He was going to be obedient, diligent, and honest. And then God blessed him. Here's what, here's what uh, Genesis 39, 4 says. Joseph found grace in his sight, in Potiphar's sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. In verse 6, it says this. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not, he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. You see, this was not a job that Joseph signed up to be a part of. He didn't go on deed.com and, you know, submit a resume and get this job hired to be Potiphar's servant. No, no, this wasn't something he wanted. This was not a good situation for Joseph, and yet he still made the best of that situation and got promoted to where he was in charge of all that Potiphar had. Potiphar had no idea how he was even getting bread brought to his table, but he was like, hey, I'm glad I'm eating. 
Joseph, you got it handled. I trust you. Why? Because Joseph decided that as a servant, as an employee, he was going to be obedient, he was going to be diligent, he was going to be honest, and he gained the trust of his master or employer at that time. Look, the most faithful, the most obedient, the most diligent and honest worker at your job should be you. If you're a believer, you should embody obedience, diligence, and honesty. Now, obviously, if your boss is telling you to do something that's unethical and against the Bible, then obviously you can disobey. You get what I'm saying here. But if he's telling you to change responsibilities and work on a project that you really don't want to work on, that doesn't go against the Bible, okay? Uh, uh, These verses deal with those who are slaves. And if slaves should be diligent, obedient, and honest, how much more should you and I who are getting paid to do the job? who signed up to do the job, who want this job. Uh, We should be uh, very obedient, diligent, and honest. Next, how to magnify the Lord in our workplace. This is what we're talking about here. Number, Number next, view your job as an act of service to Christ. View your job as an act of service to Christ. Ephesians 6 here, look in verse number 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart. And then look at this, as unto Christ. In other words, view your job as a ministry. Don't just view it as a job that I have to go to to make a paycheck. No, this is an act of service for the Lord. And the way you work is saying, Lord, this is how much I love you by the way I work. Verse 6 continues the thought, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Look, God has you in that job, and it's part of God's will for you to be there. Well, how are you doing as in your ministry for the Lord here? Verse 7 continues the thought again. With good service, or good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. And Colossians, again, points to the same thought. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. See, I'm having trouble really doing my best for my boss because I just can't maybe respect all that he does or all that she does. And it's just, it's hard. Well, don't do it for him anyway, or don't do it for her. Do it for the Lord's sake, because he's the one that puts you there. And as a believer, you're serving him as you're serving your boss. So this week, when you go to work, understand that you're not serving men so much as you are serving the Lord. Your job is an act of service. How is your ministry going there? All right, next, have a good attitude toward your boss. Okay, it was, it was good until you got to this point, Pastor. Because if you know my boss, no one can have a good attitude about them. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. Folks, this is serious in God's mind. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren. Like, don't say, oh, he's a believer, so I can kind of just, he'll cut me some slack because I'm a brother in Christ. No, no, no. He's your master. Uh, They're worthy of all honor. But rather, do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So this is basically uh, Paul's telling Timothy here what to encourage the church there. And he says, look, don't, don't, don't have servants badmouth their bosses. Don't have servants badmouth their masters. Let them show them all honor. And, and why? So that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And look, if, if their boss or their employer happens to be a believer, that's not like, oh, sweet, we're brothers of Christ, you know. We're brothers from different mothers, you know. We, we can kind of just coast along, and he's just going to 
be a blessing to me. No, I should actually serve him more, is what Paul's saying. I should uh, rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, and beloved partakers of the benefit. Okay, so we're to only have a good attitude towards those who are nice bosses, right? Well, actually, the Bible says we're to be subject and submissive to those who are not as well. 1 Peter 2.18, Peter says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Also to those who are less than kind, less than gracious. Again, these were written to actual slaves who had masters who treated them like slaves. Now, there were some slave owners who treated their, uh, their slaves with gentleness and goodness. Then there was others who treated them like garbage, who treated them like simple tools. That if one got sick, let's get rid of them. We don't have time to mess with them. Let's get a healthy one in. Now, that's how they treated slaves back in those days. So we're to be subject to our masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Do you ever feel overworked, overregulated, under-leisured, and under-benefited? Well, take heart. Uh, this notice was found in the ruins of a London office building, and it was dated in 1852. Listen to some of these things. There were some new labor laws coming in, and they sent out this notice, and here's some of the things in this notice. Number one, this firm has reduced the hours of work. And the clerical staff will now only have to be present between the hours of 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. weekdays. So they're reducing hours to 11 hours a day times five. Uh, yay. Next one. No member of the clerical staff may leave the room without permission from the supervisor. So no coming and going as you want. You have to get permission before you leave the room. Next, no talking is allowed during business hours. Next, now that the hours of business have been drastically reduced, the partaking of food is allowed between 11.30 and noon, but work will not on any account cease. So you're welcome to eat, but you better not stop working. No rest for the weary. Next, members of the clerical staff will provide their own pens. <laughs> a new sharpener is available on application to the supervisor, though. <laughs> and, then, and then they end it by, with this one. The owners recognize the generosity of the new labor laws, but will expect a great rise in output of work to compensate for these near-utopian conditions. <laughs> So they said, hey, since it's getting easier around here, we expect work to go up. Easier? Uh, I'm glad we don't live in 1852 anymore. So we don't have much to complain about, do we? Titus chapter 2 and verse number 9, here's another uh, challenge to those of us who are employees. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Your boss tells you to do something and you're like, okay, I'll give you an illustration. This is exactly what happened to me. This, I'm not proud of this moment. I was working at the Golden Arches, the very fine dining establishment. I was in the back driving drive through the guy taking the orders and the guy taking the money. And I was back there, and uh, it was about 10.30, about 10.30. And uh, 10.30 is when we switch over from breakfast to lunch at McDonald's. I was back there, and um, the person comes to the drive through and they says, do we have any, any breakfast left? And, uh, and I said, yes, we do. It was, I think, 10.29 or something like that. And, uh, my and I said, yes, I do. And yes, we do. And my boss heard me over overheard me say that. And he said, actually, it's 10.30, Eric. And I said, actually, it's 10.29. We are still doing breakfast. He didn't say anything for a couple minutes. He let the transition happen. 
And then he said, Eric, come with me and have a seat. And I had an unexpected break that day. He said, what's going on? I said, it was 1029. He said, yeah, but I'm the boss. And I said, we're done with breakfast. I said, oh, gotcha. You see, I wish I would have practiced Titus 2.9. Please them in well in all things, not answering again. I shouldn't have talked back to my boss. I should have said, yes, sir, we're not doing breakfast. And I should have got on the thing and said, actually, I was just informed we're not. We're done with breakfast for the day. But instead, I thought I knew better than my boss. And you know, God doesn't want us as employees to think that we know better than our boss. Now, there's a way that I could have done that. I could have said, now, actually, it was 1029. I thought we were still doing breakfast. I could have had a right spirit about it. But look, God wants us to have a good attitude towards our bosses, to not get all lifted up in pride. That was not my finest hour. I promise you that. So, have a good attitude towards your boss. Next, be a missionary. Be a missionary. Understand that God has placed you in your job for such a time as this. He has you in your job not just to get a paycheck and provide for your family. He has you there also to be a witness and a missionary. We've had several missionaries come through our church in the last several months here at Cornerstone. Many of them have displays that they put up in the back there in the lobby, and they have prayer cards, and they have a video presentation. Why? Because they've been called by God to a country to preach the gospel. I want to encourage all of us who have a job, especially secular jobs, to view those workplaces as our mission field as a place that God has called us. Now, I'm not going to ask you to make a display and print prayer cards and and, uh, produce a video about your workplace as your mission field, but that's maybe how we should start thinking about our workplaces. That God has called me to work in this factory or this company or this particular job, not just to earn money, not just to use my skills, but also to be a light and a witness to my coworkers. When I was working at Staples, the office superstore, I worked there all four years of my Baba College days. I was uh, in the furniture department. Uh, At one point, I was the furniture lead. Yes, I was big time. I remember working one day with, uh, there was a a Filipino uh, young man that was working there too, and his name was Dante. And uh, we always liked when Dante got on the, intercom because he would always go, uh, you know, Eric von Kalan 1, Eric von Kalan 1. And he would say this and everybody in the whole store would hear this. And so anytime that uh, we answered the phone and there were, it was for him, we would say, Dante von Kalan 1, Dante von Kalan. We would just kind of make fun of him. It was great. We had a good relationship. We made fun of him. He made fun of us. It was wonderful. Uh, we're, we're college students, so that's kind of what happens, okay? Anyway, I remember one night we were we were, uh, the store was closed and we were blocking the store and that's where we're moving everything to the front. You know, I don't, different places call it different things, but we were pulling all the post-its and the index cards to the front of the shelves. You know, we were doing all that. We were walking the aisles together and he and I were, and I was like, hey man, hey, uh, do you go to church anywhere? And we're just talking as we're working. And he said, uh, he said, no, not really. And I said, hey, I'm a Christian, and I go to church, and, um, and we, anyway, we got to talking, and I said, hey, would you, like to, would you like to know how to know for sure you're on your way to heaven and that you, you can become a Christian? And he said, yeah, and he stopped what he was doing, and he turned to me like I was going to talk to him right then, and I said, well, hey, man, we, we got to continue finishing this, but after work, why don't you stay behind, and, uh, and we'll I'll talk to you about it. And so, sure enough, after... After we all closed and we all walked out together, they set the alarm, we all walked out, and uh, he was about ready to walk to his car, and I'm like, hey, Dante, don't you want to hear that? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was the first person I ever went through the gospel with, Dante at Staples. And I realized then that, hey, this is great. This, God has put me into a little mission field right here at my workplace. God has placed you right where you are to be a witness. Now, I do want to warn everyone to be careful, though. 
You're not being paid to witness, and I recognize that. Um, I'm not there to, uh, as some people would consider, proselyte or do evangelism. That's not why I'm being paid to do what I do. Uh, So we need to be careful. Uh, But God can and will use you if you let your light so shine before men. Oftentimes, it's our work ethic, the manner in which we work, that people are able to see the Lord in us and our integrity and uh, not lying, being honest, right? Now, some mission fields, uh, just like our regular missionaries go to, some are more open than others. Some you can go and freely witness. There's others where you have to be a little underground. And uh, same thing with uh, your job. Some are going to, you know, maybe the, the boss is a Christian and he says, man, let's go for it. We need to reach these people. Other times, they're going to be like, man, we want to leave religion out. I was talking to one of our members this week, and, you know, no talking about religion whatsoever. So you have to be careful on it. Um, Be harmless as, or be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, as Jesus says. And pray that God would open doors for you to share the gospel with your coworkers. And God will if you pray that and you're looking for those opportunities. Next, keep work in its proper place. Keep work in its proper place. While those who have a job spend much of their waking hours working, work should still not be the number one priority in our lives as believers. I'm just going to go ahead and say that one more time. Work should not be the number one priority in our lives as believers. Our relationship with God needs to be first and foremost. Jesus said to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. But I know what happens. Since work takes much of our time, it takes much of our heart as well. And we don't have time for the other things that we would consider more important. I, can, I was thinking about the story of Mary and Martha serving the Lord. Martha was one who was focused on her work, wasn't she? Work became the priority where Mary said, you know, work can wait. We need to focus on our relationship with Christ. Mary had the right priority there. And Martha is the description and characteristic of a lot of Christian workers where we're so busy about our work, we've got to get the work done. I mean, this is where I find my identity. And look, no, we need to find our identity in Christ. Our job is good and important, and we need to do all the things I've already said, but, but we need to keep work in its proper place. When I was a youth pastor, I always encouraged the teens, and I've even encouraged the teens here at Cornerstone Baptist Church to do this as well, but I'm going to encourage them again. When you're applying for work... Make sure you put on the application that you're not available to work on Sundays or Wednesday nights. You're doing that to say that, look, the Lord is more important than a paycheck. And if they won't hire you, then that's not the job for you. Obviously, if you apply at Chick-fil-A, you don't have to worry about the Sunday thing. That's already taken care of for you. Of course, I'm not exactly the best example in that. I work every Sunday. (laughs) That's a little different, though. But keep work in its proper place. Make sure that you have time for rest. Don't become a workaholic. Try not to let your work impact your physical health or the harmony of your family. Too many parents, unfortunately, are chasing their careers. Meanwhile, a little life who desperately needs not just quality time, but also quantity time with their parents sits uh, somewhere, maybe a child care at home in front of a screen. Look, God has called us as parents to raise our children, and it takes time to do that, and you can't do both. I was reading about Douglas MacArthur II. He was nephew of the famous World War II general. He served in the State Department when John Foster Dulles was Secretary of State. One evening, Mr. Dulles called MacArthur at his home. Well, his wife answered the phone and explained that her husband was not there. She didn't recognize who the caller was, so she angrily complained. She's like, he's not here. He's MacArthur is where MacArthur always is. Weekdays, Saturdays, Sundays, nights. He's in that office. Within minutes, Dulles had MacArthur on the phone. He gave them this terse order. Go home at once, boy. Your home front is crumbling. 
You see, work became more important to him than his home life. And his wife was sitting there going, I don't know when I've last really had a date with my husband because he's always at work. First grader became curious because her father brought home a briefcase full of papers every evening. Her mother explained, Daddy has so much to do that he can't finish it all at the office. That's why he has to bring home work at night or home um, work home at night. Well, then, asked the child innocently, why don't they put him in a slower group <laughs> like they do with children? <laughs> you see, I realize you have to be obedient. I understand the the struggle sometimes when the, the plate is full and the demands are much. But look, it's a job that you signed up for. You don't have to work there. You don't have to do all of that stuff. Maybe just a meeting with your boss saying, look, I have a family and right now uh, my responsibilities are interfering with my family. I can't fulfill all these responsibilities and be an effective father or an effective mother. Something's going to have to give and I'm not willing to let my parenting responsibility give. It's been giving too long and I need to adjust some things. For those who know our story, that's basically kind of what happened and why we moved up to Montana. I wasn't able to keep the responsibilities that I had and be a good dad and be a good husband. I just simply say this, wherever you are, be there. When you're at work, be the best worker you can be. Don't cut corners, just put your all into it. But when you're home, be the best family member you can be. Home is the place where you need to be home. And I realize sometimes you have to take work home. I do too. Sometimes I'm working on my computer uh, when I'm at home on, on, on ministry stuff. I, I, it happens. But look, do the best you can to wherever you are, be there. And when you're at church, be the best church member you can be. Wherever you are, be there. Solomon said it this way in Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, Anybody know the rest? Do it with thy might. If it's at work, do it with all your might. But then when you're at home, do that with all your might. Keep work in its proper place. Last couple thoughts here very quickly. Number next is guard your heart. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Unfortunately, many marriages have ended because of an inappropriate work relationship. I would encourage all of us to be on guard and don't think it won't happen to you and set some parameters, set some guidelines about your work relationships, especially with the opposite gender. Guard our heart. Guard your heart. Next, honor the Lord with the first fruits. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. So as you get that paycheck, say, Lord, I want to thank you for this job. I want to thank you for the uh, provision that you have given to me, and I want to thank you by giving back a portion of what you've given to me. You see, that's quite a list. But what about the boss? What does the Bible say about those who are employers? I want to go cover this very quickly here. Number three, the biblical requirements for employers. The Bible has much to say about them too. Although I won't spend near the time on them. But for those of you who are employers, here's what it says in verse number nine of our text. And ye masters, do the same things unto them for bearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Here we go. Letter A is same as employees. So the list we just got done with applies to you as well. Be obedient, diligent, and honest. View your job as an act of service to Christ. Have a good attitude towards your boss because employers many times have bosses to answer to still. Um, uh, Be a missionary. Look for opportunities to witness to uh, your employees in a very professional manner. Don't, Don't... Make it a matter of, you know, make it a very professional thing. Um, especially let them know that you're a Christian. Don't be ashamed of the fact that you belong to Christ. Keep work in its proper place. 
Guard your heart. Honor the Lord with the first fruits. All of those things apply to employees as well. But then next, treat your employees right. Verse number nine here says, do the same things unto them. And then here it is, forbearing threatenings. God says not to motivate by threatening. You know, the, uh, hey, you're going to do this or uh, you may need to find another line of work. Uh, those type of snide ra- remarks do not belong in a Christian employ- employer. Uh, God doesn't want us to be threatening those who are under our care. Now, obviously, you need to deal with it if there's uh, disobedience and dishonesty or they're not performing what they should be. Obviously, you need to be a good leader in that regard. But treat your employees right. Find positive ways to motivate your employees. Colossians, again, the parallel passage says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Now, given the social conditions of this time, this command actually may have been more difficult to carry out than what was asked of slaves. The master who attempted to provide his slaves with what is just and equal ran a deep risk of being ridiculed by his fellow slave owners. Slave owners were kind of known for being rough with their slaves. And uh, the more rough you were, the more maybe respected you were. And so Paul here is trying to break that paradigm and saying, look, here's what we need to do. We need to be kind and gentle and and just and right with our our slaves. And uh, in our vernacular, our employees. Well, if I do that, I ain't going to be respected in my biz-to-biz group. It doesn't matter. Do what's right. And uh, if every employer in America was a faithful believer in Christ, we wouldn't, have to, we wouldn't have to have trade unions, collective bargaining, and arbitration. Employers would just naturally treat their employees in such a way that it would be a joy to work for them. All right, and then lastly here, this, the reason. Notice the reason Paul gives for managing people under you in this way. Knowing that you have a master in heaven. You see, everything has a flip side, and we need to realize that the way you treat your employees will in many ways determine the way that God treats you. Ouch. So perhaps the best word to sum up an employer's responsibility is the word accountability. To be an effective as an employer, you have to live out your Christian life on the job, remembering that you have the same master in heaven that your employee does. One day you'll have to give an account of the way that you ran your office or workplace or business or company. Last thought here quickly is the biblical reward for workers. Verse number 8 of our text, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Look, here's a remarkable promise. Keep in mind that the first century slaves didn't own anything. They didn't have any property they could call their own. They couldn't inherit anything, and yet Paul promises to slaves the greatest inheritance that any man could ever want. What Paul's saying to these slaves and to us, he's saying, you may not be getting your due now. Your boss may underpay you and overwork you. But someday, your Savior will balance the scales. The paycheck you get on Fridays is not all of your salary. Someday, Jesus is going to give you the reward of the inheritance because it really is Him that you're serving there on the job. You see, Christian workers have a bonus that other people don't have when they sign up for a job. We not only receive the paycheck and some of the perks that go along with the job, we also receive an inheritance from the Lord. Sobering thought is that our inheritance is tied to the manner and quality of our work or how we do our job. So if we're cutting corners and shoddy in our work and slack concerning our work, then so is the reward that God is going to give you. But if our work is quality and we put our all and whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, we do with all our might. Then there is a great reward coming our way. Last thing here is a quick story. A story is told of an elderly missionary couple who was returning home on a ship after many years of sacrificial service in Africa. On the same ship was Theodore Roosevelt who had just completed a highly successful big game hunt. As the ship docked in New York Harbor, thousands of well-wishers and dozens of reporters lined the pier to welcome Roosevelt home. 
but not a single person was there to welcome the missionaries. As the couple rode home in a taxi, the man complained to his wife, it just doesn't seem right. I mean, we give 40 years of our lives to serve Jesus Christ, to win souls in Africa, and nobody cares, and nobody knows when we return. Yet the president goes over there for a few weeks to kill some animals, and the whole world takes notice. But they later realized that the reason they hadn't received their reward yet was because they hadn't gone home yet. You see, as believers, our reward isn't all what we get here on earth. Our reward is somewhere beyond the blue. I read, I read this quote this week, Come work for the Lord. The work is hard, the hours are long, and the pay is low. But the retirement benefits are out of this world. <laughs> Okay, here we go. If you have been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life, if you have been set free from your sin, it can't help but make a difference in the way that you work. Christianity isn't just for Sundays here in these chairs. No, it's for the workplace as well. And if you allow Christ to be seen in your life from 8 o'clock to 5 o'clock, Monday through Friday, or whenever your hours are, and the people you work for and the people that work with you won't have such a hard time accepting what you claim to believe on Sunday. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for what your word has to say about this very topic. Or thank you for the jobs that you've provided our people. Thank you for the different lines of work that you've called us to. Help us, Lord, to take these truths and apply them to our workplaces. Help us to magnify you at work. Lord, that's where we spend the most of our waking days and waking hours. Lord, help us to magnify you effectively. Help us to make you look good, make you look big, make you look important to us at work. Help us to do so by following the biblical uh, guidelines here for employees and employers. And Lord, thank you for the promise of the reward that will come someday down the road. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us to understand these thoughts. In Jesus' name.